everyone, welcome to episode 149 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. I'm Chris Kasser-Apple, with me as always, Colin Smolin. Hey Collins. What's up Chris? Not much, how's it going? Um, you know, dreary day, yeah, but uh, <laughs> I'm here to talk about some magic. Yeah, it's uh, dreary week, I think it's go- It's supposed to be. <laughs> this weather is going to stick around, so, yeah. well great. Just North Carolina early summer rains, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Today we're going to talk about a few different things. Uh, we had two PTs, two regional players tours, whatever they are called, online mm-hmm. regional players tours, last weekend. We've yep. got two more this weekend. Yep. So definitely going to talk about some standard related to that. Uh, we have more spoilers from M21, some pretty cool new stuff from the upcoming corset, some stuff that may be overshadowed for the time being by wilderness reclamation but you know <laughs> we yeah there's there's rotations gonna happen eventually yeah yeah that's that's fine <laughs> just one more pt weekend to get through but... yes oh man yeah yeah we'll we'll, we'll talk about those we'll get into it <laughs> those top eights and those conversion rates and stuff yeah we will get there um, but before we talk about gameplay magic stuff yeah. um i think that we have to talk about some of the cultural things that are going on. Mm-hmm. We are in the middle of one of the largest, not not even necessarily coordinated, but largest like cohesive protests in American history. We talked about this last week. We're going to keep talking about it. I feel that it is really, really important to keep the conversation going mm-hmm. about it. I know that like depending on who you follow on Twitter, like how you have curated your social media accounts, like it can kind of feel like this isn't happening anymore, but it is absolutely happening. Right. And uh, I think that I would like to keep that conversation going. Specifically this week, we have some like magic related things to talk about uh, in particular with regards to race. And I think that, you know, we are two white guys. I, you know, I am Hispanic, but have all the white privilege, as I've mentioned before, uh, because of my appearance. And I think that it is important as white people to engage in this conversation and to be a part of it. It's not necessarily that we need to, like, make our opinions known about stuff and, and you know be come in here with our white guy opinions or anything like that but just to keep the conversation going yeah because because you're right is that you know um just because things you know are starting to die out on social media or whatever doesn't mean that this conversation needs to stop i think that it's very important for the conversation to continue because these things still need a lot of change yep so yep um yeah i mean we're here to you know be a part of that and i don't think it should be the exclusive burden of people of color to be the ones who bring up right issue and and keep the conversation going about discrimination and racism mm-hmm. and you know all the you know systemic racism in particular you know that that is an unfair burden to place on people who already don't have the privileges <laughs> that we have are already so, burdened yes. by a lot of things yes so I would like to do what we can. Yeah. And this week, uh, in particular, we saw Zambeg tweet out his uh, kind of 
not manifesto, but his explanation and his just description, the wizards I know, which is his kind of story from what he saw personally and what he's seen from people that he knows um, experiences with Wizards of the Coast as a company that exists in corporate America and kind of fills its roles without doing a lot of work in order to promote diversity mm -hmm. within the company. Right. Um, you know, in, in particular stories of, you know, black people applying for jobs, applying for writing gigs, that sort of thing, being told that, oh, we're not hiring right now. And then seeing a white person get hired in that position. Right. Or being told that they don't have the experience for that position. And then seeing a white person with less experience than them getting hired for that position. This sort of thing is a huge problem. And part of the problem is that there isn't any animosity that you can ascribe to like individual people at Wizards of the Coast or anything. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you talk to pretty much anybody at the company and they are, you know, liberal, if not leftist, and, you know, have progressive social values and that sort of thing. But that doesn't solve the problem of, you know, white culture being hegemonic and excluding people of color just by it sort of like rolling over everybody in its path. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, um, we're definitely talking about wizards specifically, but this is definitely an issue that is very prevalent in hiring processes all over in, in every company. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that it happens, um, by a lot of well-meaning people, uh, who consider themselves progressive or stuff, but it's still there rooted into the culture mm -hmm. and, you know, needs to be addressed. And when you're a well-meaning person, that can make it difficult to check your biases mm -hmm. when you're like, well, of course, I'm a good, you know, I'm a good liberal. I'm a good ally. Like, I, I, I would never be racist to people, but it's internalized. Mm -hmm. Like, it's taught to us by our culture. And so things like professional dress, wearing your hair professional you know like uh just by having dreadlocks or something like that mm. a, a black person can be excluded from realms because it's seen as objectively unprofessional right or the way that a person talks if it's not like the way that white academic you know like academically educated people talk it doesn't make any difference with who you are or what your capabilities are but it's seen you know there are these objective quote unquote measurements of professionalism mm -hmm. that all somehow magically seem to put like acting like a white person on a on a pedestal right and so you know it's it's insidious and it like weighs down on everything and it's just something that that we really have to think about and and be aware of wizards's response to this criticism. This criticism. I mean, the first thing that they did was ban a bunch of a bunch of old racist cards, and I'm not saying that they were wrong to do that. Yeah, but it's a very weirdly like it's the free response. It costs mm -hmm. them nothing to do this, and it took no effort. Right. And it's amazing that Invoke Prejudice was on Gather with a number of 1488 for like infinite years 
And then as soon as it became a big enough deal that they couldn't ignore it, it was not on there anymore. Like, they were able yeah. to change it in a day or two. Right. And they just never had gotten around to it before, even though they knew it was a problem. Yeah. I mean, it definitely did seem like a strange response. And in some ways, it was like a, I guess, an acknowledgement of just like, hey, we're listening to the conversation. Mm -hmm. We'll take this step. But it, it doesn't do anything. Right. <laughs> yeah. The criticism, like, that's one of the yeah. things that 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 he talked about was like hey this invoke prejudice thing has been a problem for a long time and nobody's ever fixed it and that's mm -hmm. weird right but that was you know that's not the cause that's not the problem the problem isn't this one old racist card that's still on gatherer with a number that is associated with that is a white supremacist symbol mm -hmm. like the problem is that these things happen because there aren't diverse voices in the room to help right. them get noticed. Right. Because if, if it's a bunch of white guys, then you can you can see it, but just ignore it, right? Because, yeah. you know, maybe even, like, by bringing it up and doing it yourself, you feel like you're taking, like, you're, you're, you're putting it back in the limelight mm -hmm. or something, and I could, I could see why they would just want to shove it under the rug or whatever. But that that only happens when it's just a room full of white guys and, and nobody's mm -hmm. like, hey, you know, this makes me uncomfortable. Right. Can we do something about it? Yeah. And of course, it is unfair to put that burden on the people of color in the right. room. And it, like, it sucks that that is kind of the role that society is demanding of them. And so we can also do better by, you know, you, you want to walk a balance because you don't want to speak for people of color and say like this is offensive mm -hmm. and then it's like no we don't actually care about that like please focus on the important things <laughs> but right you know it is still you know you also want to take that burden off of it just being the province of like yep we got two black people at this company and they're the ones who are going to call us out on racism and that's you know we're yeah. going to rely on them for that like that's not right. fair yeah yeah for sure like I, I guess it's cool in some ways that, like, they had that acknowledgement of the fact that this is a discussion that's happening right now. Mm -hmm. But there does, I, in my mind, I feel like there needs to be some sort of, like, actionable change. And But maybe that doesn't happen immediately and can't happen immediately. Mm -hmm. Maybe that what that looks like is that, you know, moving forward, they are going to analyze their internal process and make changes. But, yeah. Um, I mean, you're right. It it that has to be this banning cards thing has to be like step zero. Right. Like it, it's it's not. It certainly doesn't fix anything. Like there has to be an emphasis on and and I think for most employers there has to be an emphasis on diversity for for a couple of reasons. Like number one, you have to correct for the white supremacy inherent in the system. Mm -hmm. Like. It just exists. Right. And we all have internalized biases that are difficult to overcome without focusing on it. Right. Um, and so doing that as part of the hiring process is important in order to even the scales up a little bit. Yeah. But also, like, diversity as an actual asset to bring to your company is, like, it serves a role. Mm -hmm. So, like, the thing that I'm thinking of is, like... You know, there's obviously there's always a backlash when this stuff gets talked about. 
And so there's a bunch of people who reply to people proposing that Wizards does embrace, you know, do, does encourage diversity in its hiring practices and does do better about that. There are people responding to that by saying like, well, I think they should just hire the most competent people, whatever color they are. And it's like, okay, well, number one, and not it's pretty, pretty clear that that's not happening anyways. Yeah. Number two, like the example that keeps sticking out to me, and this is just the one example that like is noticed and is public is like the fact that there's a 7-Eleven joke in the India themed set, right? There's a 7-Eleven vehicle in Kaladesh and like Mark Rosewater thought that was funny. Right. So that means that magic as a product is worse because that happened. Right. Like a recent set just had a racist joke in it that nobody realized was racist. If you have people of color there, people with viewpoints that allow them to see this thing and be like, no, that's not funny. That's like pretty hurtful. Mm -hmm. That would make magic a better product in at least that way. Right. And, you know, in a million other ways, too. So I'm thinking, like, and I don't mean to turn this into, like, a solo rant or diatribe or anything, no, I but mean, I just, like, can't stop thinking about yeah, these things. Right. So, so like, I'm thinking in particular, too, about, you know, Evan Irwin tweeted out a pretty ignorant take on Kamigawa, mm -hmm. saying, basically, like, the only thing that's important in Kamigawa is the ninjas, when just, you know, ignoring that... Kamigawa was an attempt to take from a lot of Japanese mythology and history and turn that into a plane for Magic the Gathering. Right. So you, I, I think that the things that Evan Irwin said were super short-sighted and ignorant, and, and I hope that he learns from this and, and educates himself and, like, understands why just, like, seeing a culture from one, like, Japanese culture isn't there to serve you right. and be like this one thing that you like about it and that's the thing you're allowed to take away from it. But I think that part of that is a problem inherent in how Magic the Gathering exists mm -hmm. where we have like all of these many, many expansions and planes that are taking from little bits and pieces of Western mythologies and fantasy concepts and things like that. And then you have the Japan plane. Right. And that's the one place where we have Japanese influence stuff. Right. And then you have, you know, for a long time, the only place that black people came from in Magic the Gathering was Jamura. And anything African inspired came from Jamura. Right. And it's just this like commodification and like parcelization of these different cultures into like not necessarily gimmicks. But treating them as, like, singular things instead of allowing their influence to be a part of, like, all of Magic the Gathering. Like, why can we only have characters wearing saris in Kaladesh? Why can't right. that pop up in different places? Like, you know, we have knights wearing chainmail on, like, every plane. Right. And that's a very, like, specifically European thing. Right. So does everything have to be, like... European and then the like fun side things are like for a change are like an entire other culture trying to get bottled up. And I, I think that that may be one of the problems that leads to this. Kamigawa is like 
an interpretation of certain aspects of Japan, Japanese culture taken at a pretty surface level, packaged for a primarily white audience. And then it's like almost inevitable that somebody like Evan Irwin is going to look at it and be like, the thing I like about Kamigawa is the ninjas. <laughs> because it's packaged up as a product and right. like sold to white people directly. And I think that that is a problem. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. You know, that has certainly been the conversation on Twitter for the past day or so. And it's really, and this is going to be a tangent, kind of separate from uh, the race conversation that we're having, but it, it really highlighted a lot of my issues with how conversation happens on Twitter mm. and how people kind of get caught up in, like, somebody's identity and... Like, Evan Irwin is a respected person in the community by a lot of people, and I think a lot of people kind of got caught up by that and couldn't look past that mm. to recognize that he said something that was hurtful. And, you know, he made an apology, and but the response to that was a lot of just like, why did you even have to apologize for this? Mm -hmm. you, we know that you're a good person. But it, I think it's important to recognize that, like, even people who we deem as good people, and I'm pretty against right the good person bad person dynamic but but people just like couldn't get past that and, and recognize that like we should really be using this as a learning experience to understand why he said what he said why he, what he said was wrong mm -hmm. and get to the root of like our misconceptions revolving around it and not get caught up into this whole like you know right. like Cl clout doesn't like have bearing on this conversation right. yeah, yeah. Or, or like your your stature in the magic community just is right. so unimportant compared to like what is hurtful right what is a healthy way of discussing this sort of thing yeah you know like there there is a way of saying what you appreciate about an expansion and a plane and what you think they didn't develop properly or whatever like there's a way of talking about that in a respectful healthy constructive way that mm -hmm. this wasn't it <laughs> right yeah it's it is a little tough talking about some of this stuff sometimes because i always have to think about like you know i am not perfect i have made mistakes in the past and i have not been respectful because i you know didn't understand things at times and i you know did very publicly like screwed up and mm -hmm. you know had to learn from that right and it's you're right. Like, it's not about being a good person or right. being a bad person. It's about finding the spots where you have messed up and figuring out how not to do that again. Right. Because you yeah. don't want to hurt anybody. And not, like, you know, not issuing an apology and, like, trying to figure out the best way to word your apology to make people like you again. Right. It's, it's just not even close to that's what it's about. Like, I wish that every time somebody felt the need to issue some public apology they could instead use their platform to educate people about what they learned from their mistake. Mm -hmm. Be like, hey, look, I did this thing, but then I looked more into it and I learned these things and I want to share that with everybody. Yeah. Like, I think that is a much better use of, like, that conversation happening than going out on Twitter and being like, you know, sorry i hurt your feelings <laughs> which is never a great thing so. right and i didn't see evan's apology so i don't know what category it falls into or sure. anything you know i i just have been much more 
trying to be much more thoughtful about race and just kind of automatically it becomes part of what I am thinking of mm-hmm. and, and trying to recognize both my internal biases and sort of the standardized biases that society has. I was reading a case for work. Every time I'm reading something like that, now I'm just seeing like, you know, like this is this is the prejudice like inherent in the system. And it, it's something that I'm like becoming hyper aware. You know, it's something I thought about before, but it's something that I'm just kind of hyper aware of now. And it's hard right. for me to not see it mm-hmm. where it's popping up. Yeah. So just gonna keep talking about this i i mean just we i can't not right yeah but this is a magic podcast (laughs) yeah yeah i mean you know definitely want to keep that conversation going i do you know i do like that we have a platform that we can use to to do that so we should things that we can do to help you know just i think even small things like retweeting when you see stuff tweets about this stuff when you see content put out by black and uh, other people of color content creators you know retweet that stuff help them gain a platform Um, we have a responsibility as content creators to elevate voices that are different from our own so i'm going to be looking into ways of doing that and demand and continue to demand from the company that we send lots of money to that they hire persons of color for artists as designers in management positions and and you know this is this is how things have to change and it it sucks i i I watched a, a video uh just like before recording and it was by princess weeks and she did a great video just sort of giving a lot of it was her personal perspective on this thing as a black woman who plays magic and uh, had to sort of like watch all of this happening and just how she feels about it um, and her own experiences with it, with, with this sort of discrimination. Okay. And, you know, one thing that she pointed out that was like something that I hadn't really thought about was that like, it's going to suck for the next couple, the first couple of black people that do get hired at Wizards. Like, they're going to be under a microscope, Mm -hmm. like, from, you know, certain portions of the community and from Wizards itself. They're going to be there as, like, representatives of black people when all they're really trying to do is, like, go be at a job and do their things. That's a rough position to be in, too. But, like, how do we get past that? Because the only way to sort of, like, fix the culture problem of this, like, monolithic white culture is to make sure that non-white people are, like, get inroads into it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, tough. And I am sorry to the, like, people who have to be the guinea pigs here and start working at a company that has, you know, kind of systemically disenfranchised them from having positions there like that's a scary scary thing right yeah but pay attention make noise somewhere yeah like (laughs) yeah you know we can always do better indeed cool well do we want to transition to magic a bit yeah i mean we can definitely talk about the players tours there were two there were two of them kind of similar results from both of them we 
had an enormous representation of Timur reclamation in particular. Mm-hmm. Yes, throughout <laughs> throughout both <laughs> events. Sorry, it's a little difficult to transition. Yeah, here, but <laughs> give us a minute. We're doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Last week we uh, had Zan on, and Zan was talking about his preparation for the tournament and the deck that he kind of was highlighting the most as the one that he was having the most success with was Team of Reclamation. His kind of his own, you know, Zan likes to take decks and make it its own, and he was a big fan of the um, the Ambushers mm-hmm. in the main deck. Yeah. Kind of that specific part aside, Team of Reclamation is what he came to, and it looks like Team of Reclamation is what a lot of people came to. Yeah. And it was just very clear that it was the most successful archetype. Mm-hmm. 40% of day one and 47% of day two. Yeah, yeah. It, is that a culmination or that, of both? Or, no, that's that was just PT1. Yeah, so, okay. so yeah, PT1, it was 40% team rec, 47% day two. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know exactly what percentage it was. I think it was a slightly lower percentage in day one of the second PT. Okay. But the conversion rate in the PT was, in the second PT was really, really high. It had like a 63% conversion rate and the average conversion rate was like 48 in that PT. Yeah. So there should have been more (laughs) team of reclamation represented in that uh, PT. Right. Based on those numbers. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it was everywhere. I remember like during the tournament, I like took a screenshot of the top 20 players and this was like on day one uh, with one round to go. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was like the top 20 players, it was like 14 of the top 20 decks were all Team of Reclamation. Yep. And I was like, okay, I see where this is going. Well, and these top eights represented yeah. that as well. Right. You know, yeah. the, the first top eight was six Team of Rec and two Bant decks. Yeah. That, the, first, the first PT top eight to ever have 32 of any card in it. Mm-hmm. And both Gross Spiral and Breeding Pool just were four ofs in every deck in that top eight. Yeah. Man, Gross Spiral is a crazy card. Gross Spiral is pretty nutty. Uh, yeah. Definitely having a ramp spell that when you draw it on turn 10, it's just like, okay, I'll cycle this. Is, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yep. I mean, yeah, then draw your good stuff. Yeah, it's great. I mean, the yeah, the fact that both Uro and Gross Spiral kind of do that same thing mm-hmm. is... And I've seen part of the conversation of like how, you know, so Team Reclamation as an archetype was definitely highlighted as the oppressive deck of the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people, like, I remember reading Canister tweet about how he thought that it wasn't necessarily Wilderness Reclamation as a card that was the problem. It was Uro. Mm-hmm. Like, if we're going to single out one card making, like, this whole dynamic pretty one-sided, mm-hmm. Uro being that life gain, ramp, threat combo all in one yeah. is it card draw, <laughs> card advantage. Yeah. It just does everything. And, and, you know, I think it was definitely, like, Uro was in every single one of the oh, decks for sure. the, in that yeah. top eight. And Gross Spiral, another card along the similar lines, it's just, like, these Simic cards are just too good. Yeah, they're they're extremely good. Mm-hmm. And that that is a similar problem, and, I mean, it's part of the problem in that we just don't have good aggro decks. We're just not able to build them mm-hmm. right now. You right. know, you can build Mono Red... But you got to put some really like C minus level cards into your deck to make it work. Yeah, you can't play a multicolored aggro deck because all you get are four shock lands, and you don't have any other comes into play untapped duels. Mm-hmm. So you're really, really restricted in how you can build aggressive decks. And not only 
it's not good enough to just be aggressive and be like, okay, these these decks are like trying to out midrange each other, and so once they get to that point, I can beat them with Scorch Spitters. Well, part of the formula for out midranging each other is Uro. <laughs> yeah, which is just you gotta have Uro, an unbeatable card for an aggro deck. Right, like that thing come, you know, it's an explore that gains you three life, and then it's a six six that gains you three life. <laughs> And then if they ever untap with it, the game is the most over it possibly could be. It's like two of the things that Mono Red hates the worst. It's right. big defensive bodies mm-hmm. and life gain. Yeah. And it's just both of those. And doesn't cost you a card to do it. Like, right. So that that combination of just like aggro not really having good enough cards to make like a, an A-plus aggro deck, mm-hmm. that on its own isn't enough to like make aggro bad because if the decks in the metagame are soft enough to aggro you can play a bad aggro deck and spike right but the fact that uro just incidentally beats up medium aggro decks right is like means that there's no like mountains keeping you accountable portion of the format there's the there's the clear flaw in our traditional rock paper scissors element that we believe keeps things Mm -hmm. healthy yeah is that you know, all right, now Scissors is beating Rock, and that's <laughs> that's a flaw. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so some sort of aggressive deck is, and in particular in Standard, mm-hmm. some sort of aggressive deck is really important for a healthy metagame. Yeah. And if you can't, and Mono Red got pretty dumpstered in these tournaments. Yeah, I mean, you know, people were talking about the two aggressive decks being Mono Red and Mono Green, mm-hmm. and they were both around a little bit, but... They did not do well. No, they certainly didn't top eight any of this stuff. Right. There were three players on Mono Green in the first PT, mm-hmm. and they all did well on day one. They made day two with six wins. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's something to Mono Green, but that sample size is tiny, so you right. can't really draw any conclusions from it at all. And if they're only at six wins, then right, they, it's not they great. just kind of snuck in there. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, wait, so it was, what, nine rounds? Nine rounds, day one, six rounds, day two. So six, three is like, in a PT is like, Oh, yeah. I mean, you can, you can day two with five and four. Yeah. Throughout that part. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But definitely the growth spiral decks are uh, where it's at. Right. A bit too good. A a bit. Um, (laughs) In PT two, the top eight was a little bit more diverse. They... Only had four Teamer Rec decks. Just half. In the top eight. Yeah. Um, one of those was Abe, who was playing Zan's List with Nightpack Ambushers. Love to see it. So that is awesome. Congrats to Abe Corian. Yeah. Congrats to Allie as well, who top eighted this Drew? one. Um, yeah. She has been kind what? of on a tear in these online tournaments. What archetype stuff. was she running? She was also on Teamer Rec. Okay. Okay. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty bright. Decent choice. Yeah. Uh, there were a couple of John Sacrifice decks, a Rakdos Sacrifice deck, and there was a Sultai deck that managed to sneak into the top eight. Yeah. Um, I saw a couple of those Sultai lists hanging around. It's just more Uro and Growth Spiral stuff. Right. And it was more popular mm-hmm. in the second PT. Yeah. And even though one top eighted, pretty much everybody else on it did not do very well. Okay. Um, yeah. it, it did not perform. Okay. Just, you know, Casualties of War is not where it's at right now yeah and then it's kind of questionable what your payoff is for having black mana at that point yeah. so uh yeah only 20 growth spiral in the, that top eight Bummer. <laughs> yeah it's not nearly enough growth spirals so what uh what do you do with this information if you're playing a pt this weekend 
Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Like, the first thing that I want to do would be to find the deck that beats Reclamation. Mm -hmm. Find the deck that really takes advantage of my opponent trying to do things like Grow Spiral and Uro and to have an unbeatable endgame. Mm -hmm. Problem is... I just don't think that exists in this standard yep, format. Yep, that's the that's the that's the problem. Right, like so you know the cards that, the card that we're trying to compete against is Growth Spiral. Mm -hmm. It's it's just like instant speed explore in a format that has good interactive pieces to hold up on your opponent's turn, and then that flexibility of doing one or the other is just so much more powerful than any of the other archetypes. Yeah. that I can imagine. Definitely. So I would look into beating that kind of strategy. But the tools of like going over the top of that don't exist. Mm -hmm. It's just an arms race within that. Because instead of printing like like powerful finishers like Emrakul or Ulamog or something to like suppress the mid-range strategies, mm -hmm. they just made the mid-range strategies what we're ramping into. Mm -hmm. So it all has kind of coalesced into this homogenous soup yeah. that we're looking at, which is like, oh, okay, the variety that we have is... Wilderness Reclamation, which doubles my mana, which is insane, or, you know, the Bant top end, which is just, like, Nissa, who also doubles my mana, <laughs> and... Or sometimes uh, not even Nissa, uh, sometimes just... Just chaining Elspeth Conqueror's Death. Just, right. It's is, just card advantage soup. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, Elspeth Conqueror's Death and Tamiyo is just infinite. Right. Especially if you're a Yorion deck and you mm -hmm. can, like, just kind of keep plussing your, your Tamiyos without having to be afraid... Right. At least Wilderness Reclamation ends the game with an explosion <laughs> at some point. Yes. No, I remember when uh, when Evan and Zan were testing against each other. Yeah. They were talking, because they were trying out Bant. Bant was like a big part of the conversation. Right. Because initially they were like, okay, maybe Teamer's a trap. We want to try Bant. And they were just jamming Bant. Mirrors and Teamer versus Bant against each other. <laughs> and... They were like, we played for five hours, and we played five matches. Yes. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> it's not great. No, and it's not it, good testing. It makes for a pretty medium format. Can you imagine that this format was in paper? Oh, God. Yeah. Just, just think about, like, how long over we would go into over, uh, into well, turns right, each round, because players are slow and they know that bant is the best or teamer is the best deck and then they're gonna be playing those and then yep a judge calls to the mix and yep yeah so i'm you know pretty grateful that this one was <laughs> online to be honest because I, I think that just like having chess clocks eliminated a lot of problems from that it but... does disguise some of the right. some of yeah you know, I think people would be complaining about it a lot more. Was it had it been a paper tournament that had to end in fifteen minutes? Because it would not have ended in fifteen minutes. Right. I, I so. think you're definitely right about that. But I, I kind of feel like, like some old magic player now talking about. You remember back in paper times <laughs> when we, when we only had fifty minutes each, had to write our life totals down on slips of paper. Oh yeah, can you imagine? Well, <laughs> oh. anyways, but yeah. It's kind of a small aside there, but... So kind of the three decks that Zan mentioned last week as, like, these are the only decks that, that we're considering mm -hmm. were Jun Sacrifice, Teamer Wreck, and Bant. Yeah. And, you know, he wasn't considering Bant because he thought that it was too much of a roll of the dice to figure out the correct build of, of Bant. Yeah. 
but Bant actually did pretty well. Basically, Team Rec, John Sacrifice, and Bant were the only decks with winning records that were played in any sort of reasonable numbers. Right. And I don't know... Everybody knew that going into the tournament. Mm-hmm. If you knew how to exploit John Bant, Teamer Rec, right? Like you would, like people would have done it going into it because it wasn't a mis- it wasn't a secret what decks were going to show up to the tournament. So I don't know that this weekend is going to be particularly different from last weekend. Uh-huh. And I mean, like, could, may have to just eat my words on that. Like, it could just get figured out in a way that I'm not anticipating. But I don't see how. I mean, so Bant feels like one of the archetypes that you can tune to beat kind of whatever. Mm-hmm. So I actually would not be surprised at all to see Bant perform a lot better next weekend. Just kind of swap places with Team Wreck a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that at all because mm-hmm. it still has the broken pieces. Sure. Like, you know, Wilderness Reclamation and Expansion Explosion are certainly very, very powerful and broken. But that is abusable specifically by the card Dovin's Veto. Because mm-hmm. if you Dovin's Veto a Wilderness Reclamation, it is not going to resolve. Yeah. And if you Dovin's Veto an Expansion Explosion, it is not going to resolve. And and that is pretty huge. It is. For the way that those matchups play out. And there's a lot of things that you can do to punish somebody who's overloading on, on, that, magic, a, yeah. on a negate effect specifically yeah. because you can start playing, you know, how Nightpack ambusher becomes very very strong and um shark typhoon shark typhoon becomes very very strong so yeah. you still are going to need to be prepared for those things happening to you if mm-hmm. you're trying to take the dovin's veto route but I, it feels like there is an answer that bant could find a way of playing sure yeah and and we definitely saw people have success with that including in the you know in the second pt there were, I guess not in the top eight, there there weren't any Bant decks in that top eight, mm-hmm. but I think some people did quite well with Bant. Um, yeah, I mean, you are still playing that Gross Spiral Uro core <laughs> that is hard to argue with. Right. Yeah. That I do not expect to change. No. Yeah. And if I see another 32 copies of Gross Spiral <laughs> in the next top eight, I'll just not be, be surprised. Just be a big shrug at that point. All right. When is the when is twenty one coming out? And is there when is the rotation? Happening? So rotation doesn't happen until the set after M twenty one because we always have our two core set period before we yeah. rotate the last year out. Right. So yeah, the new set has to come out, and I think that's the Zendikar set. When that comes out, then we lose, you know, the Ravnica block okay. and uh, War of the Spark, and is Gross Spiral in a row. Yes. Uro's gonna Uro be is still legal. Uro's going to be around. Growth Spiral was from... That's going to be legal. That, that was a Ravnica thing. That was an actual Simic card. Great. But, okay. But yeah. yeah. Uro's, <laughs> Uro's still here for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, unless, you know, some somebody at uh, Watsi decides to change that. We'll see. I, I don't... Like, it's it's it feels like a weird card mind. to get banned, but... Ban Uro. Ban Growth Spiral. <laughs> ban everything. We don't have paper cards to worry about the values of it. Here's anyway. my ban list. Wilderness Reclamation. Teferi. Growth Spiral. Uro. That's a good start, yeah. Things are great. I mean, things are different at least, which is good. Yeah, yeah no, for sure. I mean, the impact of banning things right now is... At least the negative impact of bans right now is so vastly reduced from when we're buying paper cards for tournaments every other weekend. Mm-hmm. So, you know, fine. Have at it. 
yeah change things up if there's any time to be able to just see what it's like for the metagame to just pull the trigger on all these things yeah now now is probably a fine time yeah that's one huge advantage that the like all digital games have always had yeah over magic right you know hearthstone just gets to errata cards yeah being able to errata things is very nice and we we did see that with companions we did they did errata the companions yeah now wait correct me the the companion rules text is not on the card is that true well it kind of is because doesn't it say that you can cast this or something like that i don't know i have to pull up a, a or does it just card. say companion okay let's take a look at it i haven't looked at a physical magic card in so long so Luris. right so it's in the reminder text oh, not in the rules okay. text okay. okay if this card is your chosen companion you may cast so it, it once from outside the game so it it's on, on the card, card. yeah, yeah. So, right. so the the cards are deceptive now yeah now that uh, they have been, now that the rule has changed, but mm-hmm. obviously something needed to be changed. I am c- still surprised that they didn't just like ban them or whatever. But okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, reminder text, it's there. But we were able to get the errata in, and I, I don't mind that. But I understand how it is something to be avoided for the newer Magic player. Yeah, it's it's just a little, you know inelegant is all that's that's kind of my main problem with it yeah. is it's weird to have cards on there that say a thing that's not true right but you know that has happened before like we have cards on them that mention mana burn and stuff so you know certainly rules changes can make yeah. cards weird anti you know whatever yeah <clears throat> this is weird that it's cards from the last set that they have text on them that doesn't reflect that i mean and but that's just the price that they're gonna have to pay yeah. with their new philosophy of fire or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah i don't know what philosophy we're on at this point but philosophy of screw it we'll try it <laughs> we gotta fix it somehow yeah yeah all right so what would you play this weekend if you were queued and had not played this past weekend i would put some work into bant to see if i could figure it out figure mm-hmm. out the the matchup against teamer and because if i feel like something there's something there that yeah. i'm missing and i i haven't done the work in that i'm not qualified for these pts but yeah, somebody probably knows. But failing that, I think it's very easy to default back to Team Rec. I think I would be putting all of my energy into becoming as competent a Team Rec player as I possibly mm. can and understanding the mirror inside and out yeah. and what is the best sideboard plan. Like, right. Is it Ambushers? Is it Splash White for Dovin's Veto? Like, what is there a crazy thing you can do to make it better? Or is it just like... Play nuts and bolts as best as you can. Splash white for Teferi and Dovin's Veto. I've seen it. Yeah, well, Zan was talking about it. Yeah. But Zan actually um, was talking about how he respected aggro for mm-hmm. this tournament. Mm-hmm. So he, in that metagame, really did not want at all to make his uh, mana base more... To add more shocks to his mana base. Yeah. He was worried about the damage that he was going to take. So he opted not to go with the Teferis and, and Dovin's Vetoes. Mm-hmm. But now it feels like... It's a reasonable thing to do, yeah. Just because those are mirror breakers. Yeah. Um, if your goal is to win the tournament, mm-hmm. those are you have to get your win percentage in those matchups right. as high as possible. Yeah. yeah. So, so I would definitely try out like you know, Bantoon for Teamer. Failing that, I would go to Teamer mirror breaker. Teamer tune for Teamer. Right. Yeah. And um, you know, I'm glad you brought up learning the mirror because in formats like this where the best deck is 40% of the metagame or whatever you have to be proficient in the mirrors yeah and that is a 
uh, what I heard from a lot of my teammates that played in the first PT um, saying that they regretted the most was they were like, I tested Teamer against everything, everything else. else. Yeah. But I, we didn't put enough time into really, really getting proficient with the Teamer mirrors. So I feel like if they had just like stuck with Teamer and just played, and you know, it's impossible to pull the trigger on that before you know for sure that Teamer's amazing. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, if they just like jammed Teamer mirrors against each other for 24 hours or whatever and then yeah it could have made um a difference oh i'm sure Mm -hmm. and then that helps you figure out like what are the last two sideboard slots for the mirror that really like make a difference like what helps punch through Mm -hmm. like that that is really valuable yeah definitely yeah the testing that mirror is probably the most important thing that you could do Mm -hmm. if you are playing teamer this weekend yeah and the mirrors are hard yeah like i i played a good bit of teamer rec way back before companions mm-hmm. <laughs> so like in the first version of this metagame yeah yeah and you know i played a lot against San, and they it, they're it's something else so sure. you really got to put in a lot of work and there's a lot of intricacy and timing and patience and um, definitely yeah and that's cool i like that mm-hmm. um like as a like if we're looking at things from a purely like competitive angle and not caring at all about the diversity of the format mm-hmm. then I actually don't mind a, a one deck format where the mirrors are very very skill intensive yeah um i think that's really rewarding for the better players um but that's it's I just not sustainable as it's an not actual sustainable format yeah as a format or just like the tournament scene will get yeah old it's so. a it's definitely like a way of just testing like play skill mm-hmm. and mechanics for like one tournament that right. you're just like trying to bust your way through a bunch of mirrors but yeah, yeah. We'll see. There's other things happening in other formats that I haven't really paid attention to. I've been playing a lot of the Arena Cube, which mm-hmm. has been kind of fun. Just, it is a really, the perfect way to just get me addicted to doing <laughs> some nonsense. No, that's great. Yeah, I, um, I've i been tempted to, to hop in the queues as well. Uh, when I was watching LSV play the PT mm-hmm. in between rounds, he was always playing yeah. the Cube, and that was a lot of fun to watch. It's, it's kind of bad. Like, I... I often put on a stream while I'm working in the morning, mm-hmm. and it usually doesn't, like, affect me that much, because, like, you know, if I'm watching somebody play Modern and play, like, an interesting deck, I'll be like, okay, I'll, you know, put that on my to-do list. I'll play a league of that at some point this week. Right. But when I'm watching, like, Numot play Cube, <laughs> I'm just like, I want to stop working and play some Cube. And, like, this Cube isn't even that good. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But it's, like... On Arena, it's so quick. Like, it takes, like, two seconds to join. It is cube. I love a cube. It's just... Yeah. And, <laughs> like... You're drafting with real people. Yeah, you're drafting with real people. Mm-hmm. You know, it has the problems of, like, the modern cube that, that the modern cube have had in some of its iterations, which is basically, like, Planeswalkers are the best thing that you can be doing. Sure. Um, you're not really punished for being a lot of colors because... Although it is shifting because draft is self-correcting. And so aggro decks are being more heavily drafted. People are figuring out how to make them in this format, and they are punishing the super greedy decks better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's there's some churn to it. But generally, you know, like, I've activated Golos a lot in my cube drafts. So, which is nice. Yeah. Like, that's cool that you can do that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Cube is great. I'm really, really happy that they implemented that onto Arena. Yeah. Uh, I just think it's a, an excellent way to consume the game. Yep. And the value of the events is incredibly low, but I will try to, you know, 
keep around just like barely negative value overall on yep. them and that's that's fine just losing a little bit on average each yeah, time no worries because they're hard sometimes like yeah. i'll i'll often like draft a deck i'll be like yeah this is totally fine and i'll just like go two three with it or go oh three with it sometimes yeah sometimes you got yep um, should we talk about some spoilers? Yeah, let's do it. There's some weird ones. Okay, I'm excited. All right, I, let's start with with one of the really weird ones. So this is Nine Lives. This is one and two white for an enchantment with Hexproof. If a source would deal damage to you, prevent that damage and put an incarnation counter on nine lives. When there are nine or more incarnation counters on nine lives, exile it. When nine lives leaves the battlefield, you lose the game. So my life total is now... Nine cats. Nine iterations of damage. Right. Nine cats. Yes. Nine lives of yeah. a cat. So I'm a cat. If we were playing this in paper, you'd yeah. have to get, like, cat-shaped tokens to put onto your nine lives thing. I could see that. Or what about little cat, like, little, you know, those little, like, plastic figures that you played with yeah. as a kid? perfect. Yeah. Nine of those would yeah. be great. Exactly. Yeah. The one thing that I don't like is that this doesn't start with the counters on it, and then you take off the lives each oh, time. I, I feel like that okay. would be a better way of doing it, but uh -huh. I can't be too picky. It's a it's a very <laughs> silly top-down Well, card. each of the counters is a soul of the a cat, cat that you're putting. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah, I mean, this, this card is very strange and really hard to understand from any sort of, like, playability uh right angle like i have no idea if this card is good like so okay typically with cards like this it only is affecting your life total mm -hmm. right and and your life total like when a card is only doing that we talk about life gain all the time it you, it, you really need incidental life gain it's really hard to put a card into yeah. just life gain so that makes me like i'm looking at this card mostly as this like gain some hard to figure out amount of life card on a card and to me that would mean it's not great yeah you're not really it's not really contributing to you winning the game in any capacity so i, I would assume that this doesn't see any play um but maybe somebody figures out some like weird way to yeah i mean sometimes like, take counters off of it or something well yeah and so there's as chat is mentioning uh solemnity is you can't get counters and counters can't get put on your stuff. Oh, is that current standard? It was pretty recent. No, it was uh, Kaladesh block. Okay. Or no, Amonkhet block, I think. Yeah. So this is Anyways, a, it's not in standard. This is a historic combo. It is, this about. is definitely a historic combo. All right. Okay, now we're talking. I mean, kind of tough to get two three-mana enchantments into play uh, as a combo. And all that that does is like prevent you from losing the game to life loss. But there are certainly other ways that you can lose yeah. the game. Right. So, you know, it's it's cute. Mm -hmm. um, it is potentially a lot of life. Mm -hmm. Like, nine hits from stuff is... Like, if you take nine hits from 20 from yeah. any, from things, that you've probably, probably gone to zero. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, it's, so, if you get down to, like, three or whatever, and then you're like, all right, nine more lives. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it kind of in a lot of ways resets you to 20 or more if you're playing against gruel and they're dealing damages and dealing damage in like hits of Huge four plus chunks. Yeah. their board state is like 30 power but it doesn't matter right yeah but yeah it is just you spend a card to gain life in that sort of situation right and you know the kind of problem with it is the templating so you know imagine playing this card against boros burn 
in modern mm-hmm. when they have like a goblin guide in play and two cards in hand yep. like you probably will win that game right it's they can't deal damage nine more times to you right but if they have a skull crack this card doesn't do anything Oh, because it prevents the damage. Right, it's not just like a replacement effect, it's a prevention effect and you get the counter. Oh, that would be unfortunate. You bring in your sideboard card, you're like, I'm ready for burn, yeah. you get down to three, and then you they play your nine lives, and they go crack you. crack you out. Damn. So, I think a few too many weaknesses here, mm-hmm. but a really cool design. It's cute. And it can do something. Yeah. All right, we got <laughs> another... Another crack at the constructed playable, but we hope not too powerful, <laughs> uh, mana war effect. Okay. You know, we had Reflector Mage, yep. too good. Right. Teferi, too good. Yep. We have Baron Teleria Archmage, uh, one and two blue for a 2-2 legendary human wizard. When Baron Teleria Archmage enters the battlefield, return up to one other target creature or planeswalker to its owner's hand. At the beginning of your end step, if a permanent was put into your hand from the battlefield this turn, draw a card. So, pretty cool that it bounces a Planeswalker as yeah. one of its uh, I, possibilities. I definitely like that we're introducing that effect to the game. Because, mm. you know, Mana Wars have, have been around for so long, we were just kind of like defaulted into like, oh, yeah. It bounces a creature. We bounce creatures from the board. But planeswalkers are things that are around on the board, too. Yeah. Bounce them. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. It uh, resets your Teferis and Narsets for mm-hmm. value. You get an extra draw card if you return your own thing. Yeah. So that... no, I, I really like that element of it. I mean, with a, with a Teferi, you can just keep bouncing each other for lots of value, potentially. Right. I yeah. mean... I don't know what matchup you can do that where you're okay. Like, any matchup that is going long enough that you can do that is a matchup where you don't want your Teferi to leave the board after you've successfully gotten it onto the board. Right. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know that that actually ends up happening. Well, the man mirrors, I could see that being a thing. Yeah. But, yeah, a little, a little cute for sure. Yeah. You know, 2-2 body is not particularly impressive or useful. You know, when it's incidental, you'll take a 2-2 certainly, but... Right. The two three body on Reflector Mage is more meaningful. Yeah. And better at carrying like plus one plus one counters and stuff. You know, obviously Reflector Mage has all sorts of things going for it. The you can't cast this creature next turn is a pretty gigantic beating. That, that one's a bit of a head scratcher for sure. Yeah. But you know, th- this guy will see some amount of play. I, yeah, maybe. I mean it's it's tough to say. One thing I will say is that bounce effects feel like they are getting better and better Mm -hmm. as magic turns more into this game where everybody just has infinite resources all the time yeah (laughs) and it's all about deploying them and getting the tempo advantage right and i think that's part of why teferi feels so completely busted at the moment it kind of kills something when it comes yeah like if you if you think about teferi in your head as like come down kill something and also fundamentally break the rules of magic Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, that card is insane. Right. And it does feel like that in a lot of contexts where, you know, everybody just has so many resources right now. And then that got, like, you know, exponentially amplified by companions. And now that's gone again, which is good. But I do think that magic is moving in the direction of, like, people have cards in hand Mm -hmm. to work with. The low resource games are few and far between. Yeah. So bouncing is a more powerful mechanic than it ever has been. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, Brazen Borrower just, like, 
consistently rises yeah. in our evaluations because yeah. that effect is just fantastic. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that makes that makes me more inclined to think that this will see some amount of play, mm -hmm. um, and the fact that you can use it to get card advantage is also just good. Yeah. So <laughs> I you know it just started thinking about Teferi. That card would be totally playable if it didn't draw a card on its minus three. It would see like I, I didn't even mention that when I was ranting about all of the broken things right, that it did. Right. Yeah. Like that's why I thought of it is because right. it's like even yeah. if it didn't do that, it would be completely playable. Like we'd see it a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> why? Yeah. Also, it draws a card. But yeah, that's what magic is these days. Is every card draws a card. Every card just draws a card. Yep. Yeah. Pretty Including well. our rampant growths. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so this one is pretty cool. This is Sublime Epiphany. Four blue-blue for an instant. Choose one or more counter-target spell, counter-target activated or triggered ability, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, create a token that's a copy of target creature you control, and target player draws a card. Hey, they stuck draw a card on there because uh, because <laughs> of what we were talking about. And bounce. Yeah. It's, it bounces a and thing, too. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's everything that blue wants to do. Yeah, I mean, this card is cool but it's six mana yes so you know the the impact that a card needs to have on a given magic at six mana has risen and risen and risen and you well, know I mean, what this, what six mana cards are even like playable playable and standard i can't and we're ramping like we have yeah. a ton of mana mm -hmm. it's just that we always have places to put them right we we have a million cards in our hand it's better if we can deploy multiples of yeah. them instead of having one of them just be even more value right it's just not you're just you're just not really getting much out of that. So that to me indicates that this is not really going to be great in the standard format. But yeah, six mana counter spells have always been... It's tough to set that up. Like Cryptic Command is a lot of mana. Right. And you feel like and you really did it less. when you get to counter a spell with it. Yeah, yeah. So Also, this is entering a world with Mystical Dispute in it. <laughs> And right. this is a blue card. Is, is there uncounterable somewhere on this card? It does not. That, then I would consider it. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's also a spell in this core set that's like one blue mana counter and instant or sorcery unless they pay three. Oh, yeah. That's and, that's another one blue counter this card. Right. Yeah. And, and that card's going to see play. Mm -hmm. And certainly any deck that's running Sublime Epiphany is going to be facing all of the copies of that card in your opponent 75. Goodness. So. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, you know, cool card and definitely looks very impressive when you're looking at it from like a 2018 perspective. It's going to be nonsense and limited. True. Like, this is a good rare on rate. Counter your spell. Copy your my thing. Copy my best creature. Bounce your thing. Draw a card. That's probably you're probably not countering an activated or triggered ability. All right, you don't get time. you don't get that one, but you get the other four that are great. The so. only time you get to do that is when they play an Eldrazi and you get the spell and the trigger ability. There you go. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tough to yeah. This this deals with an Emrakul and an Ulamog pretty well. It so. does do that. You better put these in your sideboard if you're playing Jeskai Control and <laughs> I don't know that that's quite the answer. No. You want. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Ugh. This I'm worried about this card now that you mentioned that because it, it it is now reading to me as my least favorite type of card in all of Magic: The Gathering, right. which is unplayable and constructed, and unbeatable and limited. Yeah. Just like why does that card exist? Don't it is stop doing that. It, it is kind of a problem. <laughs> yeah, design 
space to it's be just, in. It's just you're just never gonna see it have play and constructed, and then in limited, it's just this thing that somebody opened and and now is unbeatable. Right, and it's an instant speed blowout too. Mm-hmm. So like your opponent just passes the turn, and you walk into this, and you're like, "Yep, they had the rare, right, instant bomb." Yeah, it's it, just. It, it feels bad. <laughs> it reminds me of there was a recent set where there was this like flash blue black seven seven yeah yes like serpent or something and and the rule was you they just never had it because if they did then you lose yep and it doesn't matter did you so. did I show you that screenshot of when I got blown out by it and my opponent had no islands or swamps in play and it was turn four <laughs> wait were there treasures was this the treasures set? no so no. they it was they just had um multiple like uh manoliths oh basically. sure okay yeah, and yeah. so i just had no idea that they had blue or black mana right. I, I don't remember what the manoliths in that okay in, in that limited format were but they had like forests and mountains in play they might have had one swamp but they certainly didn't have like blue lands at right. all and then i attacked and they just destroyed me <laughs> yeah i mean yeah but the rule, is, like, it's a rare. You just don't play around those. It's yep. fine. If they have it, then, oh, whoops. Well, then that is what happened. Yeah. Anyways. Um, we got our new Garrick. This is Garrick Unleashed. Mm-hmm. Two green green, four loyalty Planeswalker. It's plus one is up to one target creature gets plus three, plus three, and gains trample until end of turn. Minus two, create a 3-3 three, three green beast creature token. Then if an opponent controls more creatures than you, put a loyalty counter on Garrick Unleashed. And it's minus seven is you get an emblem with at the beginning of your end step, search your library for a creature card, put it onto the battlefield, shuffle your library. Mm-hmm. I I am a fan of the Garricks that minus and make beasts. Mm-hmm. Something about that just feels make, right. It feels good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Four mana Garrick, minus, make a beast. Sure. It's like, okay. I'm in. Yeah, this is great. It feels a little underpowered considering <laughs> what it's up against at the moment, but I hope that in some version of standard this is a solid playable card yeah it needs to have a beatdown shell to put itself into right and then it is sort of a vivian arcbow ranger kind of thing like it has some dna from uh elspeth knight errant too with like a pump and evasion ability and oh sure a make a body ability Mm -hmm. yeah well i think the biggest thing for vivian for me was plussing for card advantage which this doesn't do at all, or am I? I'm, I'm talking about the the devote the like one and three green one. Oh, the pluses for oh yeah plus yeah. one plus one counters. Oh, it does trample. feel very similar to that card. Okay, yeah yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know that has seen a fair amount of play in different things, and yeah. certainly was a good card when a stompy deck is buildable. Right. We saw play in Pioneer. Yeah. So was was very good in Pioneer mm-hmm. in in a couple of different decks. So the, and this is this is different, and it doesn't create. It doesn't have plus one plus one counter synergies. It doesn't create like ongoing. It doesn't turn your guys into monsters that then are way bigger than they're supposed to be. Right. But th- there's something to this card, and it's very focused on like being a part of a beatdown strategy and putting pressure onto your opponent. Yeah. Puts power on the board or pumps guys and makes them way too big to block. Right. So that that is a cohesive enough package that I'm I could be interested in this for a deck that wants to be playing a stompy sort of role. Yeah, no, definitely. And I really like the design of if your opponent controls more creatures than you put a additional counter on Garrick mm-hmm. in the minus two, 
I would love to see more design space around if I'm behind, do a little extra thing. Sure. I just really like that concept. And, you know, I don't know if it's like the best applied here, but but that just like seems like we might be opening up to like a new thing to be doing, which is like, okay, if I can figure out how to design a card that is better when I'm behind, mm-hmm. that seems pretty cool. Well, I, I think that, yeah, I don't think this goes far enough into that, but I'm glad that they are trying to look for ways to do it. Mm-hmm. It feels a little bit artificial at, just compared to how basically the vast majority of regular magic cards just are better when you're ahead. Yeah. Just every magic card is better when you're ahead because you have more ways of putting it into use. Mm-hmm. And especially with like the high power level of cards that we have and the way that you get kind of knocked out by falling behind, like right now, we've seen just the huge impact that winning the die roll has on standard. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like a seven percentage point or, or like, it's like 56, 44 or something like that. It's like, Oh goodness. Huge. I didn't it's, even know it was that big. It's gigantic. Okay. At, at least in best of one, but I don't think that best of three is like that. Sure. That far off of that. Yeah. Probably to some extent, but not a huge one just because sideboarded games are slower. Mm-hmm. But Magic in general, and especially in standard, is very die roll dependent, and that is because cards are just better when you're ahead. And the only way to make cards better when you're behind the majority of the time is to put some kind of awkward text on them like this. Right. And it doesn't feel great. It feels a little bit inelegant, but it may be necessary. And I don't think this, like, goes far enough and, like, does, you know, really, like contributes to like ah, it's not that bad that i'm on the draw i've got garrick unleashed in my deck like i don't think it quite does that Mm. but you know like knight of the white orchid does that yeah uh more cards like that i think would be really cool to see yeah no i'm i totally agree i um i I would love to see that explored more Mm -hmm. in in design space and this one doesn't really feel like it is enough right like, your opponent has more creatures than you, and now I have three loyalty instead of two. Like, it's probably still going to die to yeah. an attack if they right. have more creatures than you after you've made your 3-3. Three, three. Right. So, yeah. So that is a little awkward, but just I just wanted to point that out, how, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's a, a, a step in the right direction. Yeah, I think you're totally right. Yeah. Cool, cool. Cool. Um, all right. That is all the spoilers that we were going to look at. There's more. There's always more. Yeah. But uh, I think the whole set is out now, so we have oh, to okay. get get ready. Got to figure get into out the our... trenches. Yeah. I think we may do our set review a little bit differently this time. Okay. Because we have a lot going on, and this is a core set with a lot of reprints. Okay. So yeah. we may want to figure out a slightly different format for okay. that episode. I'm down. We'll talk about it. Yep. Well, let's take a quick look for a Patreon question. Yeah. See what's up it. there. Um, so Nick asks... As we approach rotation, are there any cards or decks you wish you had tried or played? Are there any cards you think have potential to be good, but never saw the spotlight? The new Nissa, is it a Nissa comes to mind? The new green Planeswalker that was in the recent set? Um, or is it a Vivian? It's a Vivian. Okay. Like Vivian Monsters Advocate or something like that? The five mana one that makes three threes with... Yeah. Yeah. Like that's a really good Planeswalker. Mm-hmm. But... Right. Completely outshone. Yeah, like, I feel like they're printing a lot of really good cards, and I feel like the new Garrick as well is going to fall into that category of just, like, their design mistakes are taking up all of the space, and that's just how competitive magic works, is that, like, this card's a design mistake, I'm going to play it. Yeah. 
over the other ones because it's busted. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot of stuff. I can't, I don't, you know, it's hard to speak to specific archetypes. Right, because like, how can you know that this deck might have been... Right. Uh, there's definitely some cards. The things that, uh, like, I think about the most are stuff that saw some play, but then just got completely pushed out. Mm. So like, as soon as Teferi got printed from Magic, we lost... Experimental Frenzy, mm-hmm. we lost Thief of Sanity, uh, we lost, like, Absorb was pretty much gone. Yeah. Like, you know, I, and it is just kind of a bummer to lose some of those things. Compl- like, we, you know, I may never cast Experimental Frenzy in Constructive Magic again. Right. Which maybe is an okay thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that I mean, was that... kind of a messed up card, too. Right, right. But, you know, like sideboarding thief of sanity and keeping that in mind in your control mirrors and stuff like that that was a sweet and interesting game to play right but teferi just made that worthless yeah which is not great so that the like outmoding of neat cards that we did get a chance to play but then just like were rendered textless by some of the like kind of bonkers stuff that that got put in a lot by teferi it's it's just always the conversation yeah yeah unreal what that card does another big mechanic that i think is a good answer to this question is um uh evolve yeah just like those decks just never got a chance yeah and they might after rotation yeah Yeah. and and hopefully that happens for sure yeah and i think nick is more like you know Asking about, like, what are the, like, Ravnica cards that oh, kind of sure. never got a... Ch- will never get a chance at this point. And it's hard right. for me to even remember. Like, I'm trying to think about, like, limited matches that I've played. Like, cards that, cards that would be cool, but, mm-hmm. like, never quite happen. All of the sets just homogenize in my mind to the same thing. Yeah. After, <laughs> after like, two sets. They're like, just the glue back there. Right. Or even after one set, for me. It's like, I know it's in the latest set, and then everything else is history yeah Yeah. that uh the green green white white like four four that dies into two 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 vigilances oh yeah like that would have been a neat one obviously like completely unplayable and it's a fairy world (laughs) uh completely unplayable in a world where just like yeah the creatures beat it up and they have an uro in play by the time that you cast that guy but there's there's definitely some some cards in there that would have been neat or were neat and then just you know, and it's a fairy Uro world, right? Where we're like completely built around mana doublers or something like that. Just, it's kind of a bummer that regular magic cards kind of aren't playable. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, definitely a, a sad piece of of the direction that we're going with all of the yeah the busted cards. Let us like. Let us play Baneslayer Angels again. Yeah. <laughs> like, that. I, I would really love it if we get to a point where, like, actual Baneslayer Angel is legal. Some other Baneslayer Angel-esque cards are being printed. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it would be cool if we get to a point. Uh, the problem is that Elspeth Conqueror's death is just going to still be around even after Teferi rotates. So. Right. Yeah. Another problematic card. Yeah. I, I, don't I don't know. know. I don't know, man. I don't know. Even the 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 five mana dragon from this set that has like the the Thunderbreak Regent text on it, but it has it has it different. So it's right. Regent. You have to untap of it. It was kind of right, but also mm-hmm. so so Regent's text was a triggered ability. Whenever it became the target of a spell or ability, it bolts mm-hmm. them. Yeah, yeah. This one is as an additional cost to play a spell that targets this. Pay three life. 
which is very strange templating and yep. excludes abilities. So right. Teferi and Elspeth Conquer's Death just target it for no consequence. <laughs> it's like they're trying to hold those cards on a pedestal. Yeah, it's so weird. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. Don't know either. We'll see some changes at some point, probably, or <laughs> we'll just continue having the same problems. I mean, it's one or the other. Uh, yeah, you know, it is what it is. Uh, chat, thank you for hanging out. We really appreciate it. Uh, everybody listening at home, we really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Uh, if you would like to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. I've been doing Hangouts weekly in the Discord. Just kind of a way to interact with other human beings yeah. has been nice. Yeah, if you are in the Discord, come join us for those Hangouts. If you're not in the Discord, you know, please come. I'd, I'd love to meet you guys. If you'd like to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. The podcast is at MTG underscore Grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter at Collins Mullen. Thanks a lot for listening and have a great week. Peace.